Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Gavin. That is Mike. Mike, things are a little backwards today. I don't feel very comfortable with this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're doing things a little backwards today because uh, I am very, very busy, but uh, I still wanted to put out some some something for you guys today. Uh, I'm just very busy with, you know, general grad school things. So, Instead of uh, like we've done previously, where uh, we just sort of, you know, Mike threw up a couple minute long thing. Just, hey, no episode this week. We're busy. Uh, Mike kind of offered to be like, I can talk about a history thing for for a little while. Um, right. The, so the I, name of our podcast lends itself well to history. It does. As well as science. It really does. And so uh, for the first time in 19 episodes, Mike will be... The one blowing my mind with interesting facts. Which I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. This is something, you know, this is the kind of thing I was sort of thinking about for a while. Like, all right, if Gavin never can't put out an episode, like, what would I do an episode? Like, what dead person would I do an episode <laughs> on? And uh, so I knew exactly, once the situation arose today, I knew exactly uh, who I wanted to talk about. Yeah, so unfortunately, because, because uh, you know, uh, obviously tomorrow is Earth Day. I wanted to do something for Earth Day and I have something planned. Um, I actually changed last minute. Originally, it was going to be about a really cool topic in paleontology, but then I sort of changed it to an Earth Day thing. And then I was like, actually, JK, I don't have time uh, to come up with a coherent thing to talk about. Uh, so we'll be doing that next week. But so uh, before Mike uh, takes over and blows my mind, uh, we have a couple announcements. First of all, Mike does not know this yet, so because I wanted to get his live reaction to it. I don't have a clue what this is. So I decided last night as I was just sitting in my bed uh, to create a Twitter account for us. So we are on Twitter now. <laughs> yes. Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of the good Twitter handles were taken. For some reason, dead underscore podcast was already taken. Really? Yep. Okay. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at dead podcast underscore Okay. So yeah, feel free to follow us. Uh, and Mike, yeah. I will share the login information with you, you know, separately so we can both uh, have have a hand on the wheel. But I also, okay. I made sure to fill it with lots of paleontology, uh, really, really cool people that I have interacted with on Twitter, just sort of in my own personal Twitter. Uh, I was going to say, is this going to be like, if someone follows this, like when I, uh, when I hit the follow button on this, what are we going to expect to see? Uh, mostly just, you know, retweeting cool science things. You know, I've, Followed a lot of like, you know, big, uh, you know, science publications, you know, like New York Times, Science, Science Magazine, but also like, you know, direct tweets from different people around paleontology, you know, people actually doing the science. Um, so cool sciencey type content on there, as well as, you know, announcing when we have new episodes and, and that kind of thing. This is uh, very exciting. And I am, uh, I am looking forward to actually being able to get just a small doses of this podcast when we are not actually recording it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is probably going to be a shorter episode just because once again, Gavin does still have work that he needs to finish within the next two hours. Um, so well, we'll two hours ahead. for you. Oh, that's right. You're in a different time zone. I am four hours for me. So <laughs> of course. So, um, yeah, so if, uh, but we still wanted to make sure we do a um, uh, This Week in Science History. So if you wanted to take that away, and then I will uh, I will talk about one of my favorite people in history. 
Absolutely. And I wish that this calendar, like it acknowledged Earth Day, but the thing on Earth Day wasn't at all Earth Day related. Oh, right. So instead of being from April 22nd, this is from April 23rd. You got a year for me? 2017. No, 2015. Man. I know. That's old for this one too. All right. Yeah, but the headline is... last week, but... True. The headline is, More Magma Reservoirs Discovered Under Yellowstone. So there's more than was previously thought? Yes. Hmm. Okay. So... Extensive imaging of the areas beneath Yellowstone National Park revealed a massive magma chamber situated between 20 and 50 kilometers, or for Americans, 12 and 31 miles beneath the surface. Geoscientists have long known about the Yellowstone plume, uh, which feeds magma to the surface, as well as a shallower, uh, smaller magma chamber. However, this discovery from the University of Utah researchers meant that the volcano could produce almost five times more molten earth should it erupt. Geologists say that while a larger magma reservoir doesn't increase the likelihood of an eruption, it definitely increases the volcano's destructive potential. Oh boy, okay. So it is not more likely to erupt, but if it does, it's going to be way worse. (laughs) Than we thought it was going to be. So, oh boy, happy Earth Day, everyone! Happy Earth Day, indeed. Hopefully, we get to keep living here. Um, so I think we are uh, we are good to get started on yeah. what I want to talk about today and where I want to begin today. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a social studies teacher. Um, in particularly American history is kind of my jam, and so I'd like to kind of go back to uh, the beginning of at least the United States. Um, and Gavin, yeah, uh, if I were to ask you how many founding fathers you could name. Oh, God. There is, I will tell you right now, there's sort of like a core seven founding fathers that um, are kind of generally cited as being, you know, the ones that were kind of you know, had their hands in, I don't want to say hands in everything, but those mm-hmm. seven people keep showing up throughout okay. kind of those early years of American history. So how many founding fathers and particularly those seven do you think you can name? Let's see. So obviously we have Washington. Right. Jefferson. Two. Franklin. Three. Hamilton. Four. Madison. Five. I'm tempted to say John Adams, but I kind of don't think so. You No, that he gets credit. Okay, so that's, was, I, I'm six so far, so six out of seven. Yep, you got six. The The last one is sort of like, the I the, I don't want to call him the runt of this letter, but he's the runt of the letter. Was he a president? He was not a president. He was governor of New York, among other things. I feel like I should know this, but I don't. It is a guy named John Jay. Okay, I okay. I didn't know he was governor of New York, but I I have heard the name because he wrote uh, along with Hamilton and Madison the, uh, some of the Federalist Papers, right? Exactly. I mean, he um, he only writes like five of the Federalist Papers. He gets sick. Uh, he right. barely counts. But yeah, so those are kind of the core seven. However, there are depending on how you want to define founding fathers, like over a hundred different people that would mm-hmm. sort of qualify um, as founding fathers. And so what I want to do today, you know, those are kind of the celebrities of the group, the people who talk about that. You can also include people like, you know, Samuel Adams mm-hmm. um, and Patrick Henry in, in that list. But what I want to talk about today is my favorite founding father who is not somebody that anybody has ever heard of. And when I, <laughs> when I heard about this person, I was like, why on earth is this guy? Like, why don't we have statues named after this? Why guy? didn't he get a musical? 
Yeah, right. Why didn't he get a musical? Why is he, you know, why wasn't he a president? Why wasn't he, I mean, he's, he's truly my favorite. Um, but so getting started there to try and uh, introduce this gentleman, um, going back to the constitution here. So the constitutional mm -hmm. convention replaces the articles of confederation in the United States. It's written in 1787, um, in this big hall, uh, in Philadelphia, independence hall. Mm -hmm. Gavin, if you were to take a guess here, what are the most famous words from the constitution? From the constitution? Yes. I'd say probably just the first couple words of the preamble. And do you remember those first couple words? Do you remember what they That's, are? We the people. We the people. And so the person who wrote those famous words, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, was a guy named Governor Morris. Now, what you're thinking right now is, okay, what state was he governor of? Governor Morris was not governor of any state. His first name was just governor. <laughs> it is spelled a little bit differently, but governor Morris, I've heard it pronounced a couple of different ways, but governor is, uh, is the one that I like best. And that's going okay. to be kind of our, our topic of conversation today and uh, fair warning for anybody that's going to be listening further. We're going to begin here with, um, you know, kind of some more basic stuff, but as governor Morris lives his life, we're going to get a little PG 13 oh on this God. episode. Oh, and geez. so, uh, it is uh, it is glorious. But so he was born um, in 1752 in, uh, at that time, the New York colony, which was owned by Great Britain well before the American Revolution. Hold, hold on a second. Is his name spelled with an E-U-R at the end? Uh, it is. Okay. There's a town near where I grew up called, Go it's called we pronounce it Governor. But yeah, I was, you, you, uh, you absolutely took, um, you know, uh, something else here. Yeah. There's a, there are a few things named after him and one of them, you know, um, in the town of Gouvenor, which is, you know, which is named after him. Interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Or at least not, I not to steal your thunder a little bit. Anyway, no, absolutely but. not. I believe yeah, importantly yeah, in the town of Gouvenor. Yeah. Are named after him. Exactly. So there's oh, cool. a couple of, a uh, couple of small places named after him, which is, uh, very nice, but he is, um, uh, so he's born in 1752 in New York and then in 1778. So he is just a little over 20 years old. He becomes mm -hmm. a delegate to the Continental Congress. And what this is, for those of you that don't know, during the American Revolution, this is after the Articles of Confederation have passed, but before the, the United States has won the American Revolution, we've declared our independence, but we're still fighting the war. Mm -hmm. He gets elected to basically the government at the time. He gets elected to Congress right. from New York. And what happens is while he is in this government, in the Continental Congress, he sees the conditions at Valley Forge. Now, Gavin, mm -hmm. are you familiar with uh, Valley Forge from the American Revolution? I sure am. Now, Valley Forge, it was, you know, this is when George Washington's leaving the army. George Washington's been getting his butt kicked up and down mm -hmm. the whole, uh, you know, up and down the United States, essentially, uh, at that time. And Valley Forge was this really tough winter that existed where... Basically, you know, people were freezing, people were losing feet because it was so cold. Yep. People were like eating raw leather. But this is also where the the army of the United States really actually learned how to fight. There's this guy that comes in, Baron von Steuben, that really helps get the army into gear. And part of all of this was at one point, Governor Morris goes to see the conditions at Valley Forge and he sees how horrific things are. And he becomes in Congress, kind of like the army spokesperson or the military spokesperson, trying to get them the supplies and rations they need because they just weren't getting it. People were not getting paid. The supplies was not there. It was not a good situation for the United States military at this time. Mm -hmm. And you know, under his leadership, he was able to, uh, in Congress, get more funds. And in addition to that, 
More than once during George Washington's tenure as commander-in-chief, he faced people who thought that he should be replaced. And again, if you think about this at the time, George Washington's army has been kind of getting their butt kicked for a couple mm-hmm. of years at the beginning of the American Revolution. And so yeah. it might be fair to question Washington's leadership at that time. And there ended up being a vote that took place as to whether or not to keep George Washington as commander in chief. This was part of something called the Conway Cabal, where there were some letters that were released questioning George Washington's leadership and his authority. The person who wrote those letters wound up resigning. But Governor Morris cast the deciding vote to keep George Washington in place as commander in chief and allowed him hmm. to essentially finish the his tenure as commander in chief of the Continental Army during the American Revolution. Okay. Yeah, so he's you know he plays that kind of role. He wasn't a um, he wasn't a soldier, but he plays that kind of pivotal role. And this is where he becomes a key ally of George Washington, which will uh, show up again a little bit later on. Now, eventually, you know, you know, in part because of all of this, the Americans win the American Revolution, and mm-hmm. you know, we are allowed to continue as a country. Right. However, once we're allowed to continue as a country, Gavin, I don't know if you remember from your U.S. history class. Do you remember like what a real big problem? Not the big problem. But just like with the government itself of uh, the United States, like what was not working at that time at the very beginning? Well, a lot of things. Um, there was a lot of things. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. If I had to pick one, I would just say like that, that the states were still so independent from one another. Yeah. And do you remember like what the document was that kind of um, allowed that to happen where it was kind of like 13 independent nations? Oh, geez. No, am I, am I reaching too far? Right? You're reaching the articles a bit. of confederation ring a bell. Okay, yes, that that was what I thought, but I'm like, I don't want. I didn't say it. <laughs> I was I was nervous. No, there was no absolutely <laughs> not. You, were, you you were thinking along the right thing, and you actually had kind of the right idea where the the states were too independent, and and so eventually in 1787, as I mentioned before, we wind up with this constitutional convention where mm-hmm. originally the goal was just to modify the articles of confederation. However. Everyone there, or most people there, end up deciding that we're just going to throw out the articles and replace them with the Constitution. And Governor Morris is a delegate there. He's actually a delegate from uh, Pennsylvania, which is not his home state. And while he is there, getting to one of the other things that we were talking about, and this is part of the reason why he's uh, my favorite founding father, is because when the topic of slavery comes up, mm-hmm. you've got your southern uh, southern plantation owners, most right. of whom at this time are take the view, sort of the Jeffersonian view, that slavery is a necessary evil, which, you know, as horrific as it is, you know, has, you know, has a bit of, you know, leeway compared to some people that we'll see later on in American history. That's beyond the scope of this episode, but they take the view that slavery is a necessary evil, and it's a good thing for the South. And then you've got people from the North, like people like Alexander Hamilton. And if you've mm-hmm. watched the movie Hamilton, he gets way too much credit in that yes. musical. Yes, he for, does. Yeah, he was, he sort of waffled on slavery throughout his life. If mm-hmm. he lived longer, again, if you've watched, not to spoil it, but uh, <laughs> I think I think Hamilton's been dead long enough. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he dies rather young. It wouldn't surprise me if he lived longer to see him become, you know, much more anti-slavery. Mm-hmm. But as it was, Hamilton was, you know, at best somebody that was uncomfortable with slavery, but, you know, wanted to allow it to continue to preserve, preserve the union, preserve the right. nation. Um, and that was, you know, those views were reasonably common during this period of time. George Washington owns mm-hmm. slaves, is silent about the topic during his presidency um, publicly as he grows more uncomfortable 
Um, right. You kind of have all these people, even people that are like anti-slavery, aren't really coming out and saving it. Mm -hmm. That is, however, except for my main man, Governor Morris. During the Constitutional Convention, he gives more speeches than anybody. He gives 123 speeches during the Constitutional Convention, and he gives speeches like that include this line, which I love. Upon what principle is it that slaves shall be computed in representation? Are they men? Then make them citizens and let them vote. Are they property? Then why is no other property included? The houses in this city of Philadelphia are worth more than all the wretched slaves in the rice swamps in South Carolina. He pulls no punches in, in these quotes here. He yeah. says, slavery is wrong. We all know slavery is wrong. And you're all wrong for allowing it to exist in this new country that's supposed to be based in liberty and in freedom. And that is, you know, that's sort of where I kind of first fell in love with Governor Morris is having a founding <laughs> father that, you know, that wrote the, you know, that preamble and also is like, you know, he is, he's not kidding around. Slavery is wrong. We mm -hmm. all know slavery is wrong. And I love that line, you know, our slaves, uh, you know, if our slaves men then make them citizens and if they're property, well, why are we not talking about any other property in the constitution? Right. And I'm assuming that he's sort of referencing the three-fifths compromise is, is what they ended up coming up with there, right? Yeah, absolutely. The three-fifths compromise, which for those of you that don't know, uh, slaves were counted as three-fifths of a human being at the beginning of the country when it comes to representation. So when we're figuring out how many seats different states get in the House of Representatives, white people count as one whole person, and it would take five uh, people of color in order to get th what the equivalent of three white people. Mm -hmm. And he's basically saying that that's ridiculous. There's no reason to do this. There's no reason to allow this to continue when we fought for freedom in mm -hmm. this uh, in this brand new country. And so that's sort of where I first fell in love with um, with him. See, I had always mm -hmm. known that like the Pennsylvania delegation in general was sort of like the most, you know, anti-slavery. But I had always sort of assumed that and I don't know whether... Uh, Governor Morris was like a Quaker at all, but I had always known the Quakers to be like, especially, you know, Benjamin Franklin to be like vehemently anti-slavery, like from the beginning. So Benjamin Franklin actually wasn't, um, he was not, he, he kind of falls into, um, I'd say the Hamiltonian view if Hamilton was allowed to live a little bit longer because he does okay. kind of the same thing. He, you know, he's kind of pro-slavery. He starts to moderate his position. And by the end of his life, um, ben Franklin doesn't live very long after this, right? Yeah, but he, you know, he becomes you know more anti-slavery right at the very end. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know specifically um, about okay. the about Governor Morris's religion or anything else, but it's definitely you know it's definitely you know a more northern thing. Again, Morris is from from New York and right. he's living in you know uh, Philadelphia at this time. Um, and so then you know eventually the Constitution happens. The you know basically the first presidential election in American history was convincing George Washington to take the job. Yeah. Um, and eventually, reluctantly, Washington says yes. And you'll remember that during the um, uh, during the American Revolution, again, Morris was kind of one of Washington's biggest allies back in Congress. Mm -hmm. And so in return for that, what Washington does is eventually he makes Governor Morris minister to France, the equivalent today of like ambassador to France. Okay. Um, and he does he does this um, in 1792 and he serves for uh, two years after that. Now, here's the thing, and Gavin, I might be stretching here a little bit. Do you remember okay. what was going on in France in the <laughs> 1790s? Um, I don't, 
it wasn't the French Revolution proper. It it, actually, it was it was kind of the French Revolution property. We're talking about you know like a reign of terror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically, you know, there's a whole there's a bunch of you know crazy things that are going on. Okay, I thought that I thought that might have been later 1790s, but I mean, well, you're you're the you're the history person, so yeah, well, yeah, se- 1790s. It's so you know, again, okay. the, the borders are a little bit fuzzy. If you again, if you watch yeah, musical sure. Hamilton, yeah, if you watch musical Hamilton, the I believe it's Cabinet Battle Number Two is where yes. um they're they're arguing about this and this it's during roughly the same time got you okay so um and so what ends up happening is governor morris is minister to france and normally like that's kind of a cushy job mm-hmm. but again there is a uh, <laughs> you know the french revolution is going on yeah um, yeah and so I, I just pulled up the dates here from yeah 1789 to 1799 so oh, okay. right around right in the time period we're talking about here mm-hmm. and at one point there's a whole bunch of people that are basically cornering Governor Morris and a number of other people outside of the building. And again, you know, they are they are angry people. And Governor Morris was somebody that um, you know, really kind of believed in aristocracy, that you know, he was sort of better than these masses of people. Uh, okay. But what he ends up doing, and there are all these people here, and it's you know, it's kind of a dangerous situation yeah. that we have here with all these people that are um, cornering around him. You know, people are getting their heads chopped off. It mm-hmm. is kind of wild here in France. What he does is he takes off his leg because Governor Morris had a <laughs> leg at this time. He waves it in the air and he yells, Viva la Revolution. And he tells everybody that he, um, that he was an American and he lost his leg fighting for the freedom that the Americans had fought for. Mm-hmm. And everybody at that point that's around him starts cheering and they, um, you know, they're all happy for him and he's able to kind of uh, get away scot-free. Now, that was a lie. <laughs> that was a lie because governor morris did not lose his leg fighting in the american revolution i am going to tell you the uh the supposed story of how governor morris lost his leg this is unfortunately not true but it will illustrate <laughs> it will illustrate the kind of person that governor morris is okay all right so the way the story goes and this is by the way where we start getting into the pg-13 portion of the broadcast is that Governor Morris was, um, he was with another woman. And in the process of being with this other woman, her husband comes home and happens to see the two of them together. Okay. And this irate husband chases Governor Morris kind of out of the house. He jumps off of a balcony. He falls down. And as he falls down, a carriage comes over and runs (laughs) over Governor Morris's leg. And he is, he unfortunately has to have his leg amputated there. Okay. Now that story, that story isn't true for, um, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, um, there were no balconies around where he was living at that time. Okay. Um, but the part about a, he did have a, uh, a wooden leg. That was true. There was a, there was a carriage accident. And, um, if the regular doctor was in at the time, they probably would have been able to save his leg, but the doctor was on vacation. And so whomever was left basically said, we have to amputate your leg. And so Governor Morris had his leg amputated. And interestingly, um, if you look at different paintings of Governor Morris, it's not clear which leg it was, because sometimes it's his left leg and sometimes it's his right leg that is seen as amputated. Right, very interesting. It's, it is, uh, at least as far as I'm aware, kind of the subject of, I wouldn't say scholarly debate, because I'm not sure what scholars are looking at this, but like, it's a little bit unclear which leg it was. However, that story is very illustrative of the kind of uh, love life that Governor Morris had. Okay. 
Governor Morris had a thing for married women. And when I mentioned before that he was minister to France, mm -hmm. in addition to, you know, waving his leg around and, you know, <laughs> doing some important business, at one time he stopped by the Louvre. And I will quote from Governor Morris here in the, from what he's talking about. So while he's in the Louvre, <clears throat> I'm imagining some like swanky music playing in the background right now. Right. We take the chance of interruption and celebrate in the passage while Mademoiselle is at the harpsichord in the drawing room. The husband is below. Visitors are hourly expected. The doors are all open. Um, this was, Governor this was, Moore, you yeah. said this was a public speech he was giving? No, no, this is in his notes. This is just oh, in his okay. notes. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I'm like, he, he said these no, things yeah. out loud at the Louvre? <laughs> like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. This is... This is <laughs> These are these are his notes that have uh, that have survived. And Governor Morris sort of has a, had a reputation as being this kind of a philanderer uh, throughout, you know, kind of throughout his life to the point where John Jay, kind of that runt of the litter of kind of mm -hmm. the core seven founding fathers, um, at one point had a quote that you know, while Governor Morris lost his leg, John Jay wishes that he had lost quote something else. Oh my God, we're gonna get there. So, um, do we the, do we want to? Oh, I. <laughs> Trust me, trust me. You have no idea where this is going. Okay. So, um, so uh, one other final thing before I get to uh, the final thing. So I guess this would be the sure. ultimate thing. Um, but so Governor Morris um, lived um, for quite a lot of a lot of his life as a bachelor. Again, you know, doing his thing with you know uh, other people's wives. However, eventually he meets this woman named Nancy Rudolph. Nancy Rudolph is twenty two years younger, and okay. the thing with Nancy Rudolph is that she was uh, she was believed she at the age of, I believe, 17, she became pregnant. And it was rumored that she became pregnant as a result of her brother-in-law. They had an affair. Okay. And, and kind of mysteriously, the baby was born and then, you know, died and was buried and no one knew what to do with it. And Nancy Rudolph was put on trial for uh, killing her baby. And it was one of those things that was sort of widely expected. She maintained that it was a stillborn baby, mm -hmm. but many people suspected that the baby was, you know, that she killed her own baby simply to, you know, you know, get rid of the evidence, get rid of any of that stigma and be you're just kind of done with it. She's ended up found not guilty of, uh, of this crime. And not too long after that, it sounds like the perfect woman for Governor Morris to wind up marrying. So Governor Morris winds up marrying this accused uh, child murderer that, while found not guilty, was is kind of widely thought to have you know, right. at least done something a little bit suspicious there. And that's the woman Morris likes to marry. And by all accounts, he was happily married for the remainder of his life. Okay. Now there's you know any there's a few other things that happen in Governor Morris's life. However, I will end this by talking about the end of Governor Morris's life. Now, uh, now medical technology today, you know, technology today versus technology in, you know, at this point we are talking about Governor Morris lived until I believe it was 1815, if I can just double check that real quick. Okay. Um, but he lives, you know, until the 18th. So um, technology today, medical technology versus in the 18th, like we're talking about 200 years of difference. It's kind right. of, right. It's not comparable. 1816 is when he died. Okay. Uh, November 6th, 1816, day before my birthday. How about that? Oh, um, happy birthday. Just, yeah, yet another reason. <laughs> yet another reason why I love Governor Morris. Um, and, so, uh, and so at one point, he was having some trouble urinating. 
Okay. And uh, and so what he decided to do, people today, um, people that have gone back and looked at this, think that he was suffering from uh, like pancreatic cancer. He thought that he had some sort of like a urinary tract infection or urinary tract blockage. Oh, okay. Uh, and so what he decided to do. Oh, no. And yeah, do you see where I'm going here? Oh, you, no. You remember when I said we were going to get back to it? Oh, no. <laughs> so he takes a piece of whalebone. And he decides that he is going to try to uh, to unclog that blockage that he believes that he has. Okay, that's not what I was thinking, but similar. I I was thinking he <laughs> was just going to remove it. I mean, that's that's essentially what he tries to do with the whalebone. Okay, uh, as he tries, you know, he tries to take care of that. However, in the process of doing surgery on himself in that particular area of the body, mm -hmm. uh, he causes some massive, massive bleeding. And, uh, and unfortunately, Morris winds up succumbing to those injuries on November 6th. And uh, you can imagine just how painful that must have been for somebody who at this point is, uh, how old is he? He is in, in his 60s. He is 64 at this point. And that concludes uh, the life of my favorite founding father and you know a founding father that I think deserves more credit for both being... Uh, you know, being, you know, an outspoken abolitionist, outspokenly anti-slavery, mm -hmm. and also someone that's just really fun to learn about. So this person reminds me very much of actually a person in paleontology. Oh, goodness, really? Yes. So I, I don't know all that much about him, only what I have heard in another podcast that I listen to quite frequently. <laughs> okay. Um, Which podcast is this? Uh, it is called the Common Descent Podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a, a paleontologist and I believe Romanian noble, somewhere in that area of Europe, noble, uh, named Franz Napcha. Ooh, Franz Napcha. That's a fun name. Yes. So, seems very, very similar uh, with the caveat that he was by many accounts, gay. It, obviously, in a time when that was very much not okay. But they were like, well, he's just a quirky noble, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm wondering what people would have preferred at that time, for someone to be gay or someone to be sleeping with their wife. Hmm. It's a tough call. <laughs> yeah, trying to, trying to project that onto people in the past. I can only imagine what they would have chosen. I mean, I know what I would choose, but I know, I know, I damn sure no, in case that was unclear, I know damn well what I would choose. But. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be the wife thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so many jokes I'm not going to make on our not explicit podcast. Um, but yeah, so if you feel like, I, I mean, obviously learn much more about Governor Morris because he seems like just an excellent, quirky human being. There in, is, I will put a US video in the history. show notes. I'll put a video in the show notes. Um, that uh, this is the one that introduced me to Governor Morris. It includes the uh, the apocryphal anecdote about how he lost his leg, but mm. uh, the other information in there is uh, quite wonderful. But yeah, so also if you get the chance, look up Franz Napsha. Uh, and obviously he did some a lot of work in paleontology that really sort of went undervalued until, you know, somewhat recently. But... Uh, and I think a big part of it was because he was not outwardly, but most people 
you know, obviously with anybody, and I'm sure this probably applies to Governor Morris too, but anybody who is sort of as wacky and eccentric as that has many rumors about them, such as the leg thing. Um, Absolutely. And at some point, especially with people from this long ago, it's difficult to establish what is, you know, what is rumor and what is not. Exactly. Um, But yeah, by all accounts, uh, Frontenopsia was also quite promiscuous, but with men. And, but people, once again, were like, well, he's, he's a rich noble guy. Okay. I guess if that's that's how he wants to spend his time, there's not much I can do about it. So, Uh, I will make sure I link to him uh, down in the show notes as well. So that is about all I have uh, for this episode on Governor Morris. Um, we'll make sure to put that Twitter account in our uh, in the show notes as well as links to a number of other things that we talked about. Gavin, this is opposite day. So do you want to take us out? Um, I don't know. How do, how do we normally end? Normally we just kind of end, don't we? Yeah, but normally I just kind of say, I kind of assume that you're done. And I say, Gavin, you're done. And you say, yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, thank you, everybody. See you next week. All right. Well, Mike, you're done. That's all I got. All right. Well, thank you for enthralling us with that excellent story uh, about a different kind of history than we normally talk about on this podcast. But Still dead, but a different kind of dead. Exactly. Much fresher. (laughs) A fresh kind of dead. Anyway... Thank you all for listening. We will be back to your regularly scheduled programming next week with a slightly belated, uh, but still somewhat topical, uh, Earth Day-esque episode. So, thank you for listening. I am Gavin. That has been Mike. See you next week. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Mike Bryson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.